I love that video. If you were with us in June, you saw it when we were able to celebrate our 90th anniversary, but we wanted to show it again today just as a reminder to each of us that this is a, such a significant milestone that this is something we're going to continue to celebrate throughout the year. And as we get ready to start a new school year, it's something for us to continue to put in front of you because it helps create a very important message about who we are as a church family, right? That, that we are a church family that definitely wants to cherish and, and cling to our rich heritage and our history, right? And to be grateful for it and to celebrate it. But at the same time, to be expectant for what our future may hold. Right? And to be able to do both those things simultaneously, but even, even further than that, not just to anticipate what God has done and is going to do, but what he is doing. Right? That we want to be a church that it, it celebrates both the past, present, and the future. And, and that video really, I believe, helps capture so much of that sentiment of who we are. It gives us things to celebrate and things to be eager to expect and things to, to live into even today. And so we wanted to put that in front of you, and, and it helps you think about different seasons and different markers in life. And, and I want to acknowledge again that we are starting a new season uh, here as a church. And for many of you, uh, that goes not just here on Sunday morning, but what you're starting probably tomorrow. Maybe you've already started. We, we call this Promotion Sunday because it's an opportunity for you to move up in your grade level classes. So if you were in first grade, now you're going to second grade and sixth to seventh, so on and so forth. And we do that to coincide with the school year. And so I know that many of you are looking forward to what God is going to do in this next year, and you're anticipating the future and what he's leading you to do. And so what I want to do to begin is speak to, to many of you that that's going to directly impact. And, and I want to acknowledge a couple of groups. I'm going to ask uh, two different groups to stand at the same time here in a second, uh, and we want to encourage you and affirm you. And so let me first just uh, ask if you are a teacher, an educator, if you work in administration in any capacity uh, in, in this school district or other school districts, would you please stand so we can see you this morning? Okay, and stay standing. And in addition to this group, if you are a student, and, and from any age, if you're a student getting ready for preschool or all the way to grad school and everything in between, would you also please stand these educators and teachers? <clears throat> Can we put our hands together and encourage and affirm <clears throat> this wonderful group? Thank you. You all can be seated. I wanted us to see you, and I want to acknowledge you, and, and we're going to pray for you here in a second, but I also want to, to remind you uh, that when these, uh, this new season begins, most likely for most of you tomorrow, you are not there just to fulfill a lesson plan, right? You're not there just to learn a subject, you are there to be the light of Christ, to love courageously, to carry joy contagiously, to, to continue to just show people the beauty of this gospel. So I encourage you to go and live boldly and with purpose as you start this new year. All right, I want to pray for y'all, and I want to pray for our time together. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the many wonderful people that are in this room today getting ready to embark on a new season of life. Father, we pray for those educators, we pray for those in the administrative levels as well as the students that are continuing a journey of learning. Father, that so many of them, you will have them in specific places in particular moments that will allow them to, to bring hope to what is often a broken situation. God, so I pray that not only would they grow in their own intellect and in their own experiences, God, but that they would grow in their faithfulness and in their boldness for you, God, that you would use them in mighty ways to encourage the world around them. 
So Father, send them an an overwhelming portion of your spirit that they would feel your presence everywhere that they go. And Father, we ask for that, that presence here in this moment as we seek to open your word, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds and that once again your word would prove to be living and active, that you would encourage us and equip us to live as you would desire us to live. We thank you for this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to begin uh, today's message with a little bit of a survey, okay? A little bit of a poll the audience for a moment, okay? And so let me begin by asking you a simple question. How many of you have seen a TV show? There's more to the question. How many of you have seen a TV show or a movie more than once? Raise your hands. All right, pretty much the majority of everyone in here. Okay, let me, let me take it up a notch. How many of you have seen a particular movie or TV show, maybe one of your favorites? How many of you have seen a particular movie or TV show over and over and over again? Raise your hands. Okay, still a good majority of you. Let's go to the highest level here, all right? How many of you have watched a particular movie or TV show so much in one night that you've actually been shamed by Netflix and they have asked you the question, are you seriously still watching? How many of you in here? All right, less of you. I see your hand. I see your hand in the back. All right, praise Jesus. You're not alone, okay? Um, so so I, I would definitely, uh, I guess, identify with all those groups. In our home, the show that we typically default to that just seems to be on loop is The Office, right? We get the children in bed, and it's like, if you can't choose anything else, we just kind of have it on as background noise. And we've watched that series so many times that now it's even kind of influenced our vocabulary, and just even kind of how we relate and connect with other people to the point that at any moment I could look at Jennifer and say, Beats, Bears, Battlestar Galactic, see I knew people would have me, Battlestar, and it wouldn't sound random, right? She'd know what I was talking about. We were uh, having dinner with some friends the other day, and we were reminiscing of our favorite pranks that Jim pulled on Dwight. And we were talking about like the time he put the calculator in Jello, and I started thinking, could I do that to some of my coworkers? That would be pretty fun. And it started like making me think about different behavior, right? So, so the more you see these things, it begins to influence your language. Now, what's interesting is, is that I've learned that it's not even like you have to have seen these things recently, right? Sometimes they're so ingrained, they just stay there and they, they come out at the most random times. A, a big milestone in our family this summer, uh, one that I'm fairly proud of as a father, uh, is I had the opportunity to, to, with my two oldest children to introduce them to Rocky Three and Rocky Four. okay? It was a, it was a great moment throughout the summer. I loved it. Uh, so much so that even last night, we asked them if they wanted to watch a movie, and at dinner, they were chanting, Rocky Five, Rocky Five. And I felt so accomplished as a father. I was so, so satisfied with that. And, and so what was funny is that we watched Rocky Four this summer, and that was one of my go-tos growing up. Now, it's probably been the better part of two decades since I've actually sat and watched Rocky Four from beginning to end. But as soon as we turned it on, like all the lines came flooding back into my memory. I'm like standing in my living room, looking at my children going, I must break you, you know, and, and just really reliving the moment. And, and it was crazy how much I could recall to it. So what I'm talking to you about is the power of repetition, right? When we see something, hear something, read something over and over and over again, it gets ingrained in our hearts and our minds to the point that it influences how we talk. It makes us consider how we may act, right? It it, it evokes certain emotions that we remember the first time we heard it. That's the power of repetition. Now, I present it to you this morning because of this new series we're starting today. But let me do some background work first. Um, We have had really kind of one dominant theme throughout the course of this year, and that theme has been promises, 
right? And, and the idea behind that is that when you go through life and you inv- uh, encounter people that are not very dependable, uh, that, that constantly break commitments, it, it impacts your relationship. It creates distance. It creates skepticism. But when you find somebody that's reliable, that says they're going to they're gonna do what they say, it creates this closeness. It creates this trust, this confidence. And so when we look at the Scriptures and we find verses like Joshua 21 verse 45 that says not one of the single promises, every single one, not one of the promises that God gave to Israel failed. Every single one of them was fulfilled. We see that our God is a God of promises. And that should elicit a confidence in us as his church to live boldly because what he says is true and trustworthy. And so we've talked about that. We went to Genesis. We saw the promises of creation. And then we took a journey in the spring to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the church. And that took us in a thorough study of Acts chapter 1 and 2. And we concluded that series at the end of chapter 2 with this this paragraph that really kind of describes the church that stands on the promises of God. Well, we're going back to that same passage. That's what we're starting this series on today. And it's going to feel a little bit repetitive, even so much so that, that Janae, who was working in our office this week, came to me and she said, hey, I'm pretty sure you preached on this passage earlier, and I'm pretty sure it was the same title. And I was like, yep, and we're doing it again. But it will be different, okay? It's, it's not the same sermon. Here's the difference. Uh, last time, it was more expositional in nature, meaning we, we looked at terminology, we looked at context, and then we took a little bit of time for application. We're going to flip it. This time around, we're going to do a little bit of time to remind ourselves of context and terminology, and then we are going to swim deep in application. Specifically, how does this play itself out here at this church? And my hope is that though it may feel slightly repetitive, it will be ingrained in our hearts and our minds. It will influence how we speak. It will evoke certain emotions about what it means to live the devoted life, right? That it will even challenge us to how we should conduct ourselves and how we should live, all right? So that's the desire. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. All right, we're going to be reading verses 42 through 47 today. We're really just going to dive into verse 42 in particular. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, picking up in verse 42. Here's how the text reads. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So our focal verse today, verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, so when we read this passage, it starts with this word devoted, right? And it's really a message of devotion. That word really kind of uh, serves as the governing word for the entire paragraph. And so I want to remind you what we mean when we use this word devotion, right? In its simplest definition, when you look at the original language, devotion means to have this single-minded fidelity to a common course of action, Right? So you have this single focus, this commitment, this fidelity to a course of action. This is a life of devotion. And we're going to talk at length today about the devoted life. But one of the things I want to say on the front end is that this is going to be somewhat countercultural for us. Because we live in a context, we live in a society 
that really struggles with this idea of devotion, right? If anything, you could argue maybe we're devotion-less, right? Because over and over again, people can walk away from anything. You can walk away from your job. You can walk away from your school. You can even walk away from your family. And so we've seen this lack of devotion begin to impact how we do church, right? People are rarely truly devoted to church anymore. They can bounce from one to the next. And if they do choose one, a lot of times they choose it, but they stay on the fringes. Rarely is it truly marked with deep-seated devotion. We see it applied not just in our experiences at church, but in faith, right? Several articles came out this week of of influencers uh, within Christianity. Former author Joshua Harris, I believe is his name, wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he came out and said, I'm no longer a Christian. Uh, One of the lead singers for Hillsong came out and said, I don't really believe these things anymore, and it doesn't even really bother me that I don't believe. Now, there there are a number of factors, obviously, that contribute to that and contribute to that decision. But, but one of the things we can acknowledge today is that part of that is the fact that they live in a society and we live in a society where devotion often seems optional, right? And so for us, we want to explore this countercultural nature. What does it mean to live the devoted life? What does devotion really look like, right? And so part of what I want to encourage you as we begin this discussion is to acknowledge is that so much of what you see, so much of what has been ingrained in your thinking and in your mentality from culture, we have to separate ourselves from and embrace a new way of living. This is the way of the devoted life. So what, so what really, I guess, kind of grabs my attention in particular about this verse is that while it's so counterintuitive for us in our context, how it seems to be so instinctive for them. I mean, isn't it interesting? I mean, here they are on, on the throes of Pentecost, right? Right in the midst of, of, of them saying, okay, what should we do? And Peter says, well, repent and be baptized. And right after they make that decision and they choose to follow Jesus, they instinctively know that this leads to a life of devotion. That's, that's the next step. And so my question for us this morning is, why, why did they know that? Why was it so instinctive for them? Well, again, there's a lot of factors, right? The Holy Spirit being one, the context within which they had to make this decision, the cost, all these other things. But, but one of the things I want to emphasize this morning is the fact that it had been modeled for them, right? They had seen the devoted life because this is exactly what Jesus presented for them. This is how he modeled it. The devoted life is a life of discipleship. And that's really the central theme of this series, discipleship. And, and when we've named it stories, the goal of discipleship, part of what we want to remind ourselves of is that when we truly engage in the fullness of discipleship, it's going to lead to stories of transformation, how our lives change, how other people's lives change. This, this devoted life is a life of discipleship. And so Jesus had modeled this, and that's why it was instinctive. Now think about what was unique about this discipleship type of relationship that Jesus had established, okay? The first thing that made it unique was that he was asking people to follow him. Now, it wasn't uncommon for people to choose a rabbi to follow and to learn from, but a lot of times what governed that choice was a subject, right? And we do this even today, right? I want to go study English. I want to study accounting. I want to study finance, whatever it is. And so we dedicate ourselves maybe to a subject, but what Jesus did is you're not dedicating yourself for a season to a subject. You're dedicating yourself to me. And that was incredibly unique in that point in time. Now, what was also unique about it was the level of devotion that he asked for those that would follow him, right? This was not some sort of occasional, seasonal sort of commitment. Jesus' answer was, drop your nets. Let the dead bury the dead. 
Take up your cross daily. Sell everything you own. That's the level of devotion that Jesus asked for his followers. And so we see this very unique picture of discipleship that's on display. And so what I want us to talk about this morning in particular is how discipleship shapes our identity and also gives us an understanding of what we do. And we're going to connect a lot of that to how we live this out here in this particular church. So the first thing I want you to see in terms of your identity is that Jesus begins a discipleship relationship. He begins this responsive devotion with an invitation. Right, what does he say? He says, come and follow me. And we see that played out in the scriptures, and we see that played out in history. And I hope you've seen it played out in your life. That at some point or another, all of us are going to have this moment where we hear the invitation of our Savior. Right? It could be when we're at VBS as a young kid. could be when we're at youth camp. Maybe it's in the quietness of our own home or in a conversation with our parents. Maybe it's when we're going through a desperate season of life and we're broken and we're in need. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's in this moment, but at one point or another, you have felt this tug on your heart, the words of a Savior saying, come, follow me. And when we say yes to that, we are committing to a life of devotion, and it changes everything, changes our identity. And who we are, we become disciples forever. In this life, that's who we are. We are followers of Jesus. We are his students. And that never changes. It's not a school that you graduate out of. And it is the most important identity that you will ever create. More than being a husband or a father, a mother, a wife, a son, a daughter, brother, sister, any role, any title you can get at work, the most important part of your identity is seeing that you're a child of God and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is the devoted life. And that, that identity maintains itself as long as you maintain the level of devotion that he's asked. So it shapes your identity. But in addition to that, it gives you purpose, right? It gives you focus to what this life is really about. Now, in order for us to see how this devoted life receives purpose, I want to remind you of the Great Commission. And as we talk through this Great Commission and this purpose, I think we'll be able to address some misconceptions that can so easily infiltrate our conversations about discipleship, right? So, so first of all, you think about Jesus. He's lived his life with his followers. He's resurrected from the dead. And now this is his final moment that he has with his followers. And what does he tell them? Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He gives them purpose. See, the first misconception we can often fall victim to when talking about discipleship is we think about this responsibility of going and making disciples and we can kind of scoot it over into the categorization of a gifting, right? We read in the Bible that there are different gifts that people have. Some are good at teaching, some are good at hospitality, some are good at prophecy, all these different things. And so we start to put uh, discipleship in that gift. And so then we think, well, I don't really have that gift, Right? I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to really tell people. I, I don't know how to teach. It's not really my personality. I'm not comfortable with certain relationships. I'm more introverted. I'm, whatever it is, so that doesn't really apply to me. I'll serve God in other ways. Let me be very clear. The call to make disciples, that purpose is not a gift. It is a command. This is what we were created to do. It's why you go to school. It's why you go to work. It's why you live in the neighborhood that you live in. We were called to make disciples. 
right? That is, that is clear in this direction here. Now, what you begin to see as you unpack the Great Commission is Jesus also, in revealing this purpose, kind of shows us who we should invest in, right? It's not just the nations, right? But with the way I want us to think about it is that we are called to make disciples, first and foremost, of the lost. Now, why can we say that? Because of this word baptize, right? I'm sending you into the nation so that you can baptize them. And baptism implies that there is this moment where someone was lost, but they have now decided to follow Jesus. They decided to repent, to offer their life to Christ through the ordinance of baptism, right? And so we see this as an integral part of discipleship. And so here's the other misconception that we have to address this morning. A lot of times when people start talking about discipleship, they divorce it from evangelism, right? And we look at evangelism in one category and discipleship on the other. So discipleship, when we, when we make this misconception and we separate the two, now all of a sudden discipleship becomes something that's really something you do after you've made a decision to follow Jesus, right? It's a post-conversion study. Right? Okay, well, I need to I've prayed my prayer, I've been baptized, I've walked down the aisle, now I need to go and read the Bible more, I need to grow, I need to learn different things, and it's this kind of post-conversion experience. Now, while there is truth to those things, that is a very shallow representation of discipleship. And what happens is when we embrace just that and we reduce discipleship to just that, a church can very easily become inwardly focused. And all we care about is our own personal knowledge, our own personal growth. And what happens is that those churches die a slow and painful death because it's so inwardly focused. So so evangelism is a part of discipleship. Go to the nations and baptize. Go to the lost. Now, the mistake we have when we talk about evangelism and we separate it from discipleship is when we limit it just to evangelism, now we reduce evangelism to decisionism. And all we really care about is getting people to make decisions. And churches over here that are only focused on baptisms, they end up dying in their infancy because there's no depth. There's no teaching to obey, right? And so so now we get focused on decisionism, and this becomes a practice of evangelism. Now, granted, I do believe certain people have the gift of evangelism, right? I do believe that's a gifting. Some people can fall out of bed in the morning and lead five people to Jesus, right? And I wish that were me. Uh, It has not proven to be me. I pray for that. Right? But, but all of us, because it's connected to discipleship, still have this responsibility to share our faith right? and to lead others to understand the hope that we have in Jesus. And so here's how we can often sense that perhaps we've reduced this practice and we've begun to be so focused just on decisionism. I've sensed it on some level as a parent, right? because now I have children that are at a certain age where they they can think a little bit more concretely. They, they can ask a little bit more difficult questions. And so I find myself naturally, and I think appropriately, wanting them to decide to follow Jesus, to decide to get baptized. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting that. But what surprised me is that as my children got to that age, I could sense kind of in the back of my mind this, this anticipated relief for that decision. And I remember asking myself, why, why does that create relief? As if once they make that decision, the hard work is done. And don't we do that sometimes? I mean, I don't think we ever say it, but there's almost this posture that's like, oh, they prayed to accept Christ, have been baptized. Whew. When in reality, the hard work has just begun. Because what we're teaching them is not to make a decision, but to live a devoted life. Because no matter when we make that decision, no matter when our child decides to get baptized or whatever, guess what? There are going to be other days later in life where they struggle, where they falter, 
where they make mistakes, where they doubt. And it's there that as parents, we need to walk alongside them and say, no, this is the way of discipleship. This is a devoted life. It's more than just one decision. It's a daily practice. Another way that we see how we can so easily reduce this to decisionism is that question, once saved, always saved? You ever been a part of those conversations? Do you believe in once saved, always saved? Whenever somebody asks that, I'm reminded that that question really is such an indictment of how poorly we have taught discipleship. Because inherent in that question is, hey, here's what I'm wondering. That one time I made a decision and I got back to it, was that enough? Right, if, if I live my life however I want after that, was that sufficient? <laughs> that is the opposite of the sort of devoted life that Jesus calls us to. All right, so, so let me be as clear as I possibly can. When we talk about discipleship here, we are talking about seeking and saving the lost. We are talking about teaching in a relational and appropriate context, walking with people through life, what it means to obey all that Jesus has commanded. We are talking about the whole Christian experience. That's what we mean by discipleship. Now, let's, let's go a little bit deeper and say, okay, but what does that look like? Give me some practical applications. This is where we get to the second part of this verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Right? They devoted themselves. It was a devoted life, but it was to what? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Right? So what, what does that look like? Well, I want to give you some common language for a moment. Okay? Here's some terminology that we're going to use here. Let me just go ahead and give you a disclaimer. It, it's not like us trying to be relevant or cool. It's not like we innovated this. This is just a rediscovery of what we believe has been taught in scriptures. It's not in some cool little acrostic vocabulary, right? It's just us saying, look, when we look at the scriptures, here's what we see is constantly being a mark of discipleship. Community, teaching, accountability, right? Those are the three terms I want to give you this morning. Now, let me give you some background. You're going to hear those terms a lot. Let me give you some background. The first time I really kind of came across these terms. I was reading a book as a missions pastor, and it was a book that was really focused on all these church planning movements that were taking place around the world, these, these movements of revival in Asia and all these other contexts. And one of the things that were being discovered were some of these best practices. And missionaries were coming back saying, hey, when we gather together with our church, when we gather together with this group, we're, this is how we're spending our time. We're, we're dividing it into these three-thirds of community teaching and accountability. And the more I read that, initially I liked it. I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. But the more I really kind of held it against Scripture, the more I thought, and that's a very like, succinct way and comprehensive way to see what we see in Scripture, right? So think about, let me, let me break it down here, and I'll connect it to part of what we see in Acts 2.42. Let's start with community. When we talk about community and how we want to practice community here, we're talking about communing with God and communing with each other. So you read Acts 2.42, and it says, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's worship. That, that's communing with God. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's each other. They were devoted to one another. So when we talk about community here, we're talking about being devoted to God and to each other and that sort of strong, binding relationship. Now, again, this is very countercultural because if there's anything that our society is struggling with right now, it's healthy community. And, and this is such a struggle, and it's so important. It's actually going to be a subject all to its own here in a couple of weeks. And, and we're going to kind of weave threads of how important it is throughout this whole series. But let me just 
accentuate again that you and I, we live in a context today that, that reinforces hyper-individualism, right? The, the autonomy of you. You do you. And everything says to justify your own personal choices, what leads us out of community and into isolation. And we are seeing tremendous side effects of that sort of way of living, right? And so it's going to be countercultural. Here, here's how we've even kind of minimized it within the church, so much so that when we've talked about community within American Christianity, a lot of times we talk about it with still a self-serving motivation in mind, right? You need community because it'll be great for you, right? I I need community because I need friends. I need good teaching. I need good social interactions. I need this. I need that. And that's why we want communities, how it's going to better ourselves. A devoted mindset is not about what you receive, but by what you contribute and what you give. So community, huge part of discipleship. Teaching, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? We are a church, we say this all the time, that we are going to be biblically guided in everything we do. We submit to the scriptures. It is our authority. We want to have a thirst for it. We want to have a knowledge of it. We want to have it ingrained in our hearts and our souls and our minds that it influences our speech, our conduct, our emotions, right? We want to submit to God's word in every capacity. But what I love about what Jesus says in the Great Commission is that it's not just No, it's not just be aware, it's teach to obey. I love that. It's obedience-based discipleship because the greatest teacher is doing, correct? I mean, I think about my, my children. It's not enough for them to be able to recite the rules that we have in our house. I want them to follow them right? And you think about times that they embark on some new adventure or some new experience that they don't know how to do, the best teacher is to actually do it, right? They both got rollerblades over the summer, never rollerbladed in their life. Now, they could take those rollerblades and sit at home and watch a YouTube video and read up on it. Guess what? The best way to learn is what? Go rollerblade. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Yes, read the word and do what it says, which is what leads us to accountability, right? I love how Jesus practiced accountability. I mean, think about this. Um, Jesus, when he taught, he entrusted responsibility to his followers. It's not like he just taught a bunch of parables and referred back to the law and the prophets, and then he would say, all right, guys, done for the day. Meet back here on the mountain, four o'clock tomorrow. We'll go through the second chapter of the prodigal, right? That's not how it happened. You go through like Matthew 10, Luke 10, Right in the middle of his ministry, what does he say? He says, I'm giving you authority. <laughs> I'm entrusting this, this responsibility to you. Now you go into these villages. Right? You heal. You cast out demons. You proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He was holding them accountable. He expected them to participate in this ministry. And that authority has extended to the church even today. He looks at each and every one of us. He says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you into these dark places of this world. I'm sending you into these neighborhoods and these communities. You're the one that now needs to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so when we gather together in a a context of discipleship, it needs to have accountability, right? When we read God's word, there are gonna be times where we're reminded of this kingdom and the responsibility that has been entrusted to the church. And we have to look at one another and say, okay, let's go do this and let's go do this together. Let's do it alongside one another. There are going to be times when we read this word and we're going to be reminded that our ultimate devotion rests with Christ and nothing else. 
And so we're going to be reminded that there are things we have to surrender. We have to surrender lust and greed and pride and arrogance and anger. And we need to surrender those things in the context of accountability. Brothers and sisters that can look at us and say, you can do this. I'm with you. Help me as well. Community, teaching, accountability. Okay, now let me quickly introduce the avenues within which we want to provide these things, right? We, we've talked about why we need it. We've talked about how it shapes our identity. We've talked a little bit of practically in terms of what we're talking about, in terms of how it manifests itself. But, but how do we provide it here at this church? Here, here's what I want to uh, suggest to you. There are three distinct arenas that we would put in front of you where you can experience discipleship in the devoted life here at UBC, right? It's corporate worship, this service that we're in right now, it's our Sunday Connect groups, and it's our discipleship groups, okay? Now, let, let me quickly explain that. We're, we're putting three of those together. We're going to unpack this in greater detail next week, but we, we would say, look, you need all three of those because each one is going to have certain strengths and limitations that the others don't. And so we're not out there just trying to get more attendance and just trying to fill your schedule. We're doing it because we really believe this is a better way for us to grow as disciples of Jesus and pursue the devoted life. I mean, so think about it this way. When you encounter any of those arenas, you should experience some form of community teaching and accountability. You gather here on a Sunday morning, and this is one of your larger networks of community that you're going to have in your week. Other people that share, hopefully, these convictions of following Jesus. You're going to find teaching. Somebody that's going to come up here, whether it's myself or someone else, and proclaim to you God's word and seek to understand what it means. We're going to find accountability. We're going to say, hey, here's, here's where God is leading us as a church. Let's strive for this together, right? You're going to experience all these things in this arena. But can I tell you, it's also going to be limited, right? If this is your only engagement with this church, as grateful as we are, can I gently say to you, it will be very limited and shallow because all that we can do in this service can only go so far. Even if you show up early and stay late and have conversations with people, if that's your only expression of community, it's going to be very shallow. If this is the only teaching you get where it's one directional and you don't have the opportunity to, to raise your hand and ask a question, but that doesn't make sense. And what about this first? And I really struggle with that. If it's just one directional, it's going to be very limited. If, if this is the only measure of accountability, really all we can hold you accountable to is did you show up? We have no idea what's happening once you leave. Right? If this is it, then it's, it's limited. Right? So we intentionally provide other arenas because those expressions of community teaching and accountability will have different strengths and different options for us to grow in the devoted life. And so on a day like today, let me encourage you to really consider Sunday Connect. Right? This is where, after this service, we're going to give you an opportunity to meet different teachers, directors, and, and I'm going to explain more of that here in a moment. But this is another arena where we can grow in this devoted life and in this discipleship. And, and Sunday Connect is, is where you're going to have an opportunity to dive more deeply and intently into these things. And so what I would encourage you is that if this is all you truly experience at this point, is this, this service, take the next step. Embrace this devoted life. Step into this other arena. Now let me go ahead and, and spoil the surprise for you. Okay, let me just go ahead and, and set your expectations. Because if you decide to join a Sunday Connect group that meets at nine o'clock before this service, here's what you're going to find. It, it's not going to be perfect. I know, I'm sorry. I know you want it to be, 
but let me just go ahead and tell you, it won't be. I know it would be awesome for you to show up and be like, these are all the best friends I'm ever gonna need. This is the best teaching. They've got the best social calendar. This is awesome. I know that's what you want. I'm telling you, we don't have it, okay? I'm sorry. So what I'm gonna ask of you, and many of you do this incredibly well, so in some ways I'm preaching to the choir here, what I'm gonna ask of you is to set aside the consumeristic mindset and embrace the devoted mindset. Right, the consumeristic mindset comes in and says, okay, how is this gonna benefit me? Is this what I like? Is this the people that I wanna be with? The devoted mindset says, how can I serve? What can I offer, right? Because my savior is the one that set the example that I'm not here to be served, but to serve. I'm here for you. That's the mentality that I want us to embrace. And so let's engage these arenas. Take the opportunity. If you've never been in one, show up next week and show up ready to, to offer this life of devotion. So in summary, and then let me offer a quick word of conclusion, the devoted life is a life that's marked by discipleship, a discipleship that shapes our identity and also gives us purpose, a purpose that helps us see that this is what we are called to do. It, it takes us to the lost and to the believer. And when we engage in such a way, we see an opportunity to commune with God and with others. We find an opportunity to submit to his word, to be taught through obedience. We find accountability for a common goal, for a common purpose. This is the sort of discipleship that we want to create and foster here in this church. And so let me offer a closing word of encouragement. If you want to know what true devotion looks like, look no further than Jesus. He is the perfect picture of devotion. All right, let me remind you of what he says when he gives you this purpose. He says, I am with you always. And so if you're here this morning and there's any sort of obstacle to your pursuit of a devoted life, you're going through a certain trial, you're going through a certain hardship, you have certain fears, certain apathy, if there's anything in your way, let me encourage you and remind you, Jesus is with you. Always. Not just on your good days, not just on your bad days, not just when it's easy, not just for all of it, the highs and lows, the mountains and the valleys, Jesus is with you and he will never leave you. He is the mark of the devoted life. And so as we challenge each other to this end today, let me remind you of the words of your Savior and your King. May you hear them echo in your hearts. Hear him say to you, I am with you always. And may we respond by saying those same words to him and to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for who you are. God, we are so, so beyond grateful for the hope of a gospel that calls us to true devotion. We acknowledge, God, that on so many levels, we don't come by this naturally. Father, that there are things that, that feel more convenient, that, that feel more comfortable, that we tend to gravitate to, God. And and I pray against that. I pray that we would be a church that would just be so overwhelmed with your spirit, God, that, that the devoted life that we would want to offer to you, to each other, Father, would be contagious, that it would saturate the very existence of who we are. And so I pray that you would lead us accordingly. God, equip us, empower us, remove any obstacles, Father, that are in our way, and help us hear the voice, invite us to follow you, Father, and let us drop our nets. Let us leave everything that can so easily entangle and let us run for joy 
after you to bring you the glory that you so richly deserve. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.